doing good. How are you, Carlo? I'm doing great. Yeah, I'm doing great. Just writing a bit today. I was reading and researching a bit about your background. You have some long history in the space, both in the traditional art and digital art. It's very exciting. Very exciting to have you here and yeah, learn from your journey. That's uh, quite exciting. Where are you right now, Elena? I'm in New York. It's 3 p.m. in New York. Today is a nice sunny day, so we're lucky. <laughs> nice, New York. Is, is it normal for it to be like a sunny day? We're getting close to November. It should be getting cold. Yeah, New York is actually nice this way that it stays pretty warm for a while. Usually it gets colder, I guess, on Thanksgiving, mm -hmm. end of November. Not sometimes even it comes and goes. Thank it you. has its good weather moments. <laughs> nice. All right. Well, Elena, I'm happy to have you here because you have done many things, both in the traditional art world and also in the digital art space. You are currently working at Life Art, so I want to know a bit more about what Life Art is doing. And I know you founded Kadaf, uh, which is a festival, also educational platform. So yeah, looking forward also to hear your thoughts in, in that process on creating that let's call it platform festival. And actually I was reading an article from Forbes that you wrote back in 2018. It's about uh, the digital art space. And I found it very interesting on why the blockchain uh, will impact the art market from five years ago. I think that maybe that that's a good place to start. Elena, what do you think about that? So five years after you wrote that article, what are your impressions? You think it's the change has been much faster. You expected it to be faster. What are your thoughts on the impact of the blockchain in the art market? Yeah, no, thank you. Great questions. And thank you for checking out my articles. So yeah, I started my journey in the space in 2017, actually, when I founded an educational company called New Art Academy. And mm -hmm. so New Art Academy focused on art and tech education. And I initially wanted it to focus entirely on the art market. So to let people in the art market know what's going on in the tech space. And I started with online courses that I organized. I also organized conferences with companies like Forbes, started writing for them organize something mm -hmm. at NYU. <laughs> and yeah, it was a fascinating moment when blockchain already, of course, existed as technology, but for the art space, it was very new. And I think a lot of what I wrote about still stands today. It's still true, of course. I think that actually, ironically, the key use case that I see for the blockchain is just to make the transactions easy and smooth and confirm the authenticity. And there was a lot of going on in between, a lot of hype, a lot of conversations. But I think that right now this is what's important. And it's just important to have good, strong art that we show. And yes, yeah, it's interesting. A lot has changed. A lot has changed. The best part that has changed is actually the attention that the space has gotten through the years mm -hmm. with some definite ups. But I think right now is actually a very interesting moment where we can see a lot more great art 
and where when we can see a lot more interesting players coming in, a lot more interesting mm. artists. And I'm passionate about getting more traditional artists into the space. I guess that's about it <laughs> yeah. from 2017. No. Yeah, it's five years past. And as you said, many things have has happened. The the space has moved forward. There has been a lot of attention. You mentioned bringing artists to the space. I know you have been working with uh, traditional artists, trying to supporting them to make the transition. How has that process been, Elena? What are some experiences from bringing somebody that is established in the, let's call it physical world, traditional world, and then supporting them to explore the digital art space. What are some of the experiences there? Yeah, so I actually, in most of my career in the space, I was working with the digital artists. In 2019, I co-founded CADAF, which is actually an art fair. It's an art fair focused on digital art. And we started with the first fair in 2019, and we had some really early artists in the space presenting and we had CryptoPunks sold at the first fair. Mm -hmm. We had Kevin Bosch, just to name a few. But there were really great artists. Dmitry Chernyak and with the galleries like Artex Code and yeah, Sophia Crespo. I'm just going all over, but really a lot. So most of them were digital artists creating in a digital space and really excited that that moment was a great moment to start kind of monetizing on uh, the art that or on the work that they've been doing for years and that mm -hmm. finally there was a tool that could confirm the authenticity in a correct way that there was enough attention to their art and so on but since i joined live art actually their primary focus right now is bringing traditional artists to web3 Mm -hmm. And that's how this journey kind of started. And I was lucky to work from inception to the sale on the first drop by a very interesting and successful traditional contemporary artist, Yumin Jun. He is one of the best selling contemporary Chinese artists. And so we've had a lot of conversations on how actually Web3 space can help him and can expand uh, his practice. Mm -hmm. And that was really interesting for an artist who has already a huge body of work mm -hmm. and who's been just very interested in experimenting in technology. He was very open, but this partnership, this collaboration gave him an opportunity to create in a different manner, but using kind of the scenarios or the themes that he's been working on throughout the years and that are very familiar. That is mm -hmm. the figure of the, I don't know if you're familiar, maybe we can show <laughs> some of the images because yeah. they're really interesting, but it's his laughing man self-portrait figure that has been going uh, throughout his career. So here we took this imagery and created 999 works of art based on that with the new traits, with the new items that he's passionate about. The idea, I guess, working with any artist, if you're working so closely that you collaborate with, is to listen carefully of what the artist wants to say, what he wants to achieve in a digital space, why he wants to be 
in the Web3 space and trying to accommodate all of these needs, which are really possible, I think, with today's technology. He's also very excited about the metaverse. <laughs> so mm. I'm looking forward to seeing that mm. coming to fruition as well. Yeah, I have seen the collection. And, and by the way, for everybody listening, either in the recording right now or in the podcast that we share in the description, you can find the collection, everything we mentioned in the podcast, all the artists, all the collections. We'll have the links uh, in the description. And the Laughing Man, yes, I, I saw that when it's... What I found interesting is that this is an artist, as you said, uh, one of the best-selling contemporary artists in the Asian market. And when you work with him, when you were collaborating, what were some of the challenges for the artist or some of the questions he had? What were the main reactions to the space for the artist? Anything in particular that you remember that was kind of, oh, this, this is kind of normal for people in the digital art space? But maybe for these artists breaking into this world, it was kind of different or new. You, you, can you think of anything like that? That's a good question. Yeah, one that I can think of is overall perception of the space and the blockchain and crypto market mm -hmm. that was having mixed moments as we are in a better moment. Now it's a better moment, but maybe a few months ago it was lesson so one of the things is just to be brave enough to be willing to experiment uh, with this market and the technology and that's something that he was but that's definitely on everybody's mind and then i don't know it's just he was curious who the collectors would be in which hands the art will be and interestingly enough uh, we were able to track some of the collectors and there are some really great collectors who acquired his art who are really interested in um, mm -hmm. collecting great work so yes yeah, that, i guess yeah no that's interesting and, and the collectors came from life art kind of network or they came from the artists, collectors that follow the artist traditionally, like from his traditional work, were you able to kind of track where the fans, the collectors came from for this particular drop? Yeah, I think most of them actually were, interestingly enough, Web3 collectors. So those were people that were definitely familiar with his work, but LiveArt mm. has a pretty good number of Web3 collectors. I think they're over... 500,000 worldwide, and a lot of them are in Asia. And so they were familiar with the work, but some of them have collected Yumin Jun's traditional art, but some haven't. And yeah, so it really was it's different. New... But uh, I'm sure there were some people who who are more traditional collectors traditional, of, right. of his art, but mostly Web3 collectors. Mm -hmm. And with the work you're doing with live art, as you said, the mission is kind of bringing traditional artists to the space. Do you also see that traditional collectors are also coming to the space? Is it harder? Is it, is it easier to bring traditional collectors than artists? What are What is your experience there? Or is it purely focused on digital collectors? What's kind of the goal behind live art? So, I mean, traditional 
collectors, of course, uh, are trickier to bring to the space because they're very used to what they're used to and it's hard for them to start using this marketplace technology all of a sudden. And as much as we want to make it user-friendly and everybody, I think everybody's goal is to make it as user-friendly as possible, it still can be challenging because you have to buy crypto, you have to understand uh, what NFT is, you have to be able to, to use a lot of tools that you're not used to. I think that is changing and that will be changing with time. And that's where my programs with Christie's Education, for example, come in place where we try to educate collectors on all different technologies and all the tools that are available. But most of the collectors right now, I think, are still Web3 collectors. Mm -hmm. Nice. And I want to talk on that topic, Christie's and Sotheby's and, and the different things you're doing with them in terms of education. But before that, you mentioned something very interesting previously with Kadaf. This I'm interested in this when you sold the, the CryptoPunk. Can you tell us a bit about that? How did that happen? How did you end up selling a CryptoPunk? And what was the reaction and planning, coordinating this sale? Because this happened way back when it wasn't that common to sell digital art in the blockchain and auctions. And yeah, can you tell us the story? How did that happen, the selling the CryptoPunk? In which year was it? It was 2019. It was very early 2019 in New York. And that was the first fair that we organized, the first CADA. So we had a few galleries represented there. One of them was Kate Vaz Gallery, who actually was presenting the punks at the fair, I believe. <laughs> <laughs> that was the story. So we haven't orchestrated this sale at all. It was very spontaneous. Our partner for the fair was OpenSea. For okay. OpenSea, it was the first ever time, I think, dealing with art. Okay. <laughs> and it was a very fresh moment. And we had tw yes. twins yes. attended yes. the fair. <laughs> and they really liked one of the punks. And they acquired oh, yeah. that one. And okay. then we're also good friends and continue being good friends with Nana Deccan who is the CEO and founder of Artery. But he, at the time, he was also chairman of the board of TIFAP, which is one of the major traditional really good actors. So he loved another piece and another punk, and he purchased that one. And, and so I don't know, <laughs> the prices were <laughs> incomparable to what they are now, but mm -hmm. they were still good prices, and it was yeah. a very interesting moment yeah so they made a good deal where they oh, were my god it was a good yes. investment for them <laughs> it's a great great investment that was really funny yeah it was a lot of excitement even back then when the the twins when they uh, were interested in the work and we were all around the piece explaining the piece and then took pictures still have pictures from that <laughs> moment that was yeah. pretty exciting and were they because i think they not sure if they acquired, I think it was NFT Gateway. Yeah, 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 I think so. I think that was Nifty Gateway. Nifty Gateway. Nifty right. And do you know if that was before or after they acquired? Definitely after. 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 So they were already yeah. running. No, the... before. Ah, first okay. they acquired the punk. <laughs> it was mm. their first, I think they said, the first artwork they ever acquired. 
And then I think maybe a year later or so, they acquired NiftyGate. That's interesting. Yeah, and the tweets, they are prominent investors for a long time in technology. I might be wrong, but I think they were part of Facebook, investors on Facebook early on. I think so. (laughs) Yeah, that's what made them famous, I think, uh, is their investment in Facebook. Yeah, and then they founded Gemini. And at that Mm. time, they were just the founders of Gemini. Gemini, yeah. That's a nice story. So you met them. And then yeah. you could say you brought them and Kate Bass, you brought them to the, to the NFT exactly. space. <laughs> exactly. No, nice. I, I think we did a little bit. <laughs> we definitely put a founding stone in their interest yeah. in digital. Yeah, yeah. that's it's very interesting. Okay. So that's your work in CADAF, which was very early on in the space. And you were, you also had an academy. You found that education was an important part. And I believe. It still is because there are two reasons. First, it's very complicated to understand the whole space, NFTs, crypto, smart contracts. There is a lot of confusion right now for different reasons, how the media portrays NFTs. And also, I feel like the technology moves so fast and things change so fast. There are many blockchains, there are many marketplaces, there are many movements, currents, collectors, different things happening, artists, different styles, mechanisms. So in terms of education, what do you think are the biggest challenges from what you have seen from the students, for all the people you have been able to interact? What are the biggest challenges, Elena, that you have seen, recurrent questions you see from people trying to understand what's happening? I think there are two groups of people. So people who are mostly traditional art people, and those are mostly people that we have uh, at Christie's or even at Sotheby's, they just don't have enough understanding on the complete ecosystem of Web3. So for them, I'm just trying to present as broad of an overview of what is going on starting from the history and then going into all the different platforms and tools and businesses that are in. So they're just trying to understand how it works. But then for Sotheby's, for example, students, I was able to get a little bit more deeper. So for them, I was able to present just simple things, how to open up your wallet, how to use the marketplace, how to mint an NFT, how to do all these things. So people are curious about that and they still can be quite a bit intimidated about using it on their own. So they do need guidance. Mm -hmm. And then people in Web3 space, are very curious about the traditional art market. So they're more interested in art history, in how one artist is, what makes an artist important. They're interested in how auctions work, how galleries work. So everything that goes into the traditional market, really. So actually, they do complement one another pretty well. Yeah, they can help each other. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, that that would be nice. Yeah, I guess I fall under that group, the second group, the Web3 people that understand the space well, but are very curious about the traditional art uh, market, how galleries, like galleries, how they work, what is like the process of 
interacting with artists, preparing exhibitions, and how do they manage their relation with collectors? How do they actually get collectors? How do they find collectors? Those things I'm very curious about. Maybe you can uh, tell me a bit about that. On the Web3 space, there are galleries as well, um, which are very different. Um, but when you look at the traditional art galleries, they have like a physical store where everybody knows where the gallery is and they mm -hmm. have their own style, the kind of art. Elena, how hard is it to actually run or create a gallery in the traditional art world? I guess that's a place to start the conversation. It's a complex process because you have to deal with many things. What would you tell somebody like me that is curious about the traditional galleries, how they operate? What are some of the differences between the galleries in the traditional art world and the digital art marketplaces galleries? Uh, I think it's very tricky to operate a traditional art gallery starting from the fact that it has to be in a physical space, which is often very expensive. So that's a huge cost that is with you every month. And that's why I think most of the galleries, when they open up, they already kind of know who their buyers are or who the core of their buyers are. They have strong relationships with the collectors. And I think most of their business is about relationships and building these relationships with collectors. In Web3 space, you are also trying to build the relationship with collectors, but it's more at scale. I feel like because it's web-based, it's more international. You don't have to go for lunches and dinners with your collectors necessarily. But in traditional space, it's more personal. You build this long-term relationships with the collectors and you are trying to have collectors that actually really value works a lot that wouldn't resell the work right away not to damage the market of the artist who are really passionate about art so i think that's something like that yeah when we think about collectors what are the most popular imagine like a typical case a gallery that has been successful has 30 years 40 years of existence the typical collectors from those galleries who are those? Are like institutions, companies that also invest in art? Is it more like families that purchase art for themselves? Or is it more like collectors that even if they don't sell the art immediately, as you said, maybe they are looking to resell or gain something back in 20, 30 years. What are the most popular collectors in the traditional galleries world? Yeah, I think they're very different. So it's just from regular people who love having, who are passionate about art and love having beautiful art on the walls of their apartments and houses. And they might resell the work in some time, maybe in order to purchase new art. I know collectors like that, and those are the best, I think. <laughs> but there are also institutional collectors. So most of the Private banks, for example, have large collections of traditional art, not yet mm. that much of digital art, which is very interesting to me. And I would love to see that change. But mm -hmm. they also purchase, of course, art from the galleries and from the dealers. So it, it's a good range, I feel like. Usually good galleries are trying to only sell art 
to the collectors that they trust and that they trust that they won't damage the reputation or the market rather of the price won't resell fleet mm -hmm. art, right? <laughs> won't sell right. it very quickly. Is it common to find suddenly, even if they, there is some relation, that a collector actually resells something? And how is that tracked in the traditional art world? How do people actually find out, okay, this was sold? Is it because we're talking about artwork that is very expensive and is usually sold through an auction house, which is a topic that I'm, I'm very interested in? But how do the these art sales are tracked when we are talking about expensive, exclusive artworks. How are they tracked in the, mm -hmm. in the traditional art world? Yeah, good question. So the sales are kind of divided between private sales and public sales. Private mm -hmm. sales, you really cannot track because they are being done privately. You don't know uh, what goes on into them. But then there are public sales, everything that goes on in public auctions, like Christie's, Sotheby's and other auctions, you are able to track. There are quite a few databases where you can check the data. Live art, actually, one of the fun things that they provide is the database of the auction results. So if you go to the Live Art website, you can check the auction prices yeah. for everything that's been sold at the auctions and that's how you are able to track they also provide some analytics how the rs market is doing is it going up is it going down so it's a pretty useful tool it's free unlike many other or some others there are not that many yeah. tools of that sort anyway but it's free mm -hmm. and interesting fact is that our web3 collectors are consulting this database if there is a sale, human June, they can see that the artist is actually doing very well at the auction. They can see themselves the auction results. And so that makes them perhaps more comfortable into buying into the NFTs by that artist as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's like more a more strategic approach or also as when a new traditional artist is coming to the space, that's for those that like to keep track of the markets, that's a great way to do the research. That's a great way to yeah. understand what's the value of that artist. I'm actually going to check that out. Uh, no, it's the, very the, handy. Very yeah? handy. Nice. That's yeah, great tools. And it's on live art and it's uh, free. That's amazing. When we think about auction houses. I know Sotheby's, I know Christie's. First of all, because you have been involved with both, it's called the companies, they have the educational vertical, both of them. They have the auction house part. But if you have to kind of explain to somebody like me that is not that experienced in the traditional art world, is there like a main difference between Christie's and Sotheby's or they are very much similar doing similar things, or is there a particular difference between them? I think they're pretty similar and they probably have similar range of collectors who follow them. They're just two major world mm -hmm. auction houses that exist. As I said, a lot of things in the traditional art market depend on the relationships and the re relationships come from the people. So people who are specialists at Sotheby's at this moment of time, have certain relationships with certain buyers, and that mm -hmm. goes the same 
with Christie's, so that kind of diversifies. But the type of art, the kind of art that they show is very similar. Both of them are very interested in digital art, have digital art sales as of recently yeah. since the market mm -hmm. has started. They have both invested in products related to yeah. Web3. They're pretty similar. But then there are many other auction houses that exist. The third major auction house is Philips. That is also pretty similar, but they don't have a public educational arm at this point. And then there are a lot of auction houses that are specific to a particular country. So China has their own auction houses, France has their own, so on. There are local auction houses that are specific to the area where right. they're based. When it comes to auction houses, I've been following what Sotheby's has done in terms of they have done a great job explaining the value of recent collections, recent generative art that has been sold. They have done a great work communicating the value behind these collections. They have also gone extra mile also doing work with the pioneers, generative artists, right? Like uh, Vera Bolnar, they have released new collections as well. And some of my readers, when I started to write about Sotheby's and these traditional institutions coming to the Web3 space, these are centralized. At the end, they are companies, uh, centralized organizations. So some are a little bit worried regarding the decentralization aspect, like the open aspect of the digital art world. What are your thoughts there? Because of course you have you have work in the, both worlds. You you understand the space well. You have been doing festivals and fairs from 2019, like many years ago. What do you think these institutions bring to the digital art space that's valuable? What can artists, digital artists and Web3 collectors, what can they learn or what benefits are there from these big institutions with a lot of experience joining the space? I think one of the key things that they bring to the space is reputation. So it definitely, I think that from the time when Christie's and Sotheby's started dealing actively in digital art, the reputation of the space mm. overall has become much Better, and it's become much more trustworthy among collectors and just the whole thing blew up. And I think one of the reasons was because the major institutions like Sotheby's and Christie started to participate in it. Mm -hmm. The other important part not to forget are the museums. Once the museums started being interested in the space and having major exhibitions with the digital art, there used to be, or there were, of course, exhibitions of digital art before the raise of the NFT space. But still, right now, the attention that the whole market gets with that is, I think, incompatible. Mm -hmm. Like MoMA's recent acquisition of Rafik Nadal and many others, LACMA's retrospective, and yes. all the Pompidou's acquisition of <laughs> CryptoPunks. Yeah. Uh, so I think that this institution's coming into the space, it just brings it to a little bit of a different level from 
everybody's point of view. Whenever I speak with the artists, they're all really interested in being a part of these institutions. They're mm-hmm. you know, artists and artists are passionate about being part of this established institutions, I think, at least that's from my experience. Yeah, I think it brings a different kind of visibility. And as you said, it's like a validation uh, mm-hmm. from a world that has been established for a long time, that has been operating for many years, decades, basically. So it's not a silo of blockchain enthusiasts, of digital artists, digital collectors. It's, in my opinion, and I agree with you in the sense that it opens the doors for new other art fans and art enthusiasts and people that also have dedicated their lives in this medium and they bring a lot of experience. It's quite interesting. I've yeah, been seeing their progress and their technology, what they have invested in terms of making these auctions in the blockchain and making sure the connections between the digital art worlds and showcasing everything with the smart contracts and everything that comes with the authentication that the blockchain brings. They have shown that in their websites and in their material pretty well. That's exciting. And Elena, when you think about your courses, um, your classes, what you're teaching, what are the things you like to teach the most? If I take a course or somebody, some of the listeners wants to enroll in one of your classes, what are you teaching those courses? So I have a course coming up actually this week is going to be the first class at Christie's. People still can register. And the way I structure the course, it's a little bit like a mini conference. I love organizing conferences, but yeah, so I have a lot of speakers, a lot of people who are very knowledgeable about the space and the particular areas that there are in the space coming and sharing their knowledge with the students. Uh, I like starting with the history of digital art, with having art historians and mm-hmm. artists coming and sharing their knowledge with the people. Um, specifically at Christie's, I'm assuming a lot of them will be from traditional art world, but I'm also hoping to see some Web3 uh, mm-hmm. people there as well. But I think that this comprehensive knowledge of the history of the space is very important. I love art history myself and we'll have that. Then we also cover how physical and digital markets interact, what are different tools and resources and companies that are available uh, mm-hmm. in the space. I also love having artists at the course. So I often have a lot of artist presentations. For this particular course, we'll also have director of the Super Blue joining, so she will share how Super Blue, for those of you who are familiar with the space, it's a really interesting museum-like space in Miami, also opened a while ago mm-hmm. and focused on very cool digital art. Yeah, and just uh, going between digital and <laughs> physical and how two can live together and benefit from one another. I think that that's mm-hmm. very important for both sides of the market. And that's what we're trying to, mm-hmm. to do with the course. 
Yeah, that's exciting. How long is this program? Because I have some time in my hands and I want to use it to learn. Because let me tell you a bit about myself. Uh, my background is more in the tech side. So I'm mm -hmm. a software developer and studied a master's in machine learning and data science, worked in the tech industry for around eight years. And I found this space around three years ago. And since then, I've been like heads down into the Web3 space and the, especially generative art, AI art, but I don't have a background in traditional art, in history. I'm very interested about the art market, these things we're talking about, how they work, how things interact, the relations between people. So would you say that kind of course is for somebody like me and for those listening that are in the Web3 space, there are many curators in the Web3 space, collectors, artists. Do you think there is a value in this sort of course to learn from the traditional art history and then take that in a way to implement that somehow in the digital art space? Do so you see some value there for that kind of people, that kind of profile? Absolutely. The course runs for five weeks. It's every Thursday online, so it's pretty easy, but we're trying to make it as comprehensive as possible. I think it's beneficial for both Mm -hmm. Web3 and traditional audience, yeah. you should check out the topics <laughs> that we yeah. have there and see for yourself if you can benefit from it. But I'm very passionate about this courses and try to put as much as possible there. Remember the, the last lecture of the course, we will actually have collectors, traditional collectors coming into the space and sharing why they're now collecting traditional digital art. Mm -hmm. We'll have Sylvain Levy, actually not Sylvain Levy, but Sylvain's daughter, Karen. Sylvain has founded DSL Collection. It's one of mm -hmm. the, again, major mm -hmm. contemporary Chinese art. I don't know if you have heard about him before, but one of the major no. contemporary Chinese art collections. And he has created a VR museum based okay. on this collection because all the works there are very, are pretty large scale. And then we'll have another collector joining us as well. Nice. It's a pretty diverse group of people who you're going to hear from. Cool. I'll check the topics and I'll also include the links to the course for those interested in the description. Elena, as we already mentioned, you've been around in the dollar space for a while. You have seen the ups and downs from selling a crypto punk to the Winkle Gloss, is it Winkle Gloss? Winkle Gloss Twins? Winkle Gloss Twins, yeah. Yeah, in 2019, you've seen the rise of the NFT revolution. You've seen the market kind of going a bit up and down. You've been into events organized at first. You have taught courses at different institutions with a great reputation. So what do you see these days? What is your mind at in terms of what is exciting for you? What do you see coming? What do you, do you think will happen more? Anything you see happening that's relevant in general in the digital art space over the next years, the next five, 10 years? What do you think will happen? Anything, any radical changes? What are your thoughts there? I'm curious to see how it will all evolve. I hope that the space will grow even more hope to see more great art and it doesn't matter whether it's coming from traditional artists or from digital artists. I, I really want to see more great artists experimenting with technology one way or another. 
right now, this is one of my focuses is kind of bring traditional to digital. And I find that it's both challenging and rewarding and exciting. You can create mm-hmm. something new, but I love digitally native art. Um, I see Sasha Styles' book on your bookshelf. Yeah. I have Sasha Styles. Yeah, yeah, it's... And I have a lot of other favorite artists, you know, and I've worked with so many artists through the fairs. I just want to see the space mature, grow, become uh, a space of its own. So we have traditional art market, we have digital art market, having a good place uh, mm-hmm. in the institutions throughout with a good reputation that people are comfortable with. I would also want to see the technology becoming more user-friendly so that more traditional collectors can get in mm-hmm. easily. And that kind of respect to UX and payments and regulations and everything, I think, needs to be just a little bit easier on people. And then I'm sure we will see a lot of progress there right away. Yeah. Yeah, I think I agree with what you said. And for me particularly, I would like to see more of, I think this has been discussed in, in the past, more events, more exhibitions, more fairs that actually combine generative piece with a physical piece and a sculpture. And then it could be curated like a curation from different mediums and that it doesn't matter if it's an NFT, if it's minted in the blockchain or not. I think there is something there that could be very beneficial uh, for many reasons to the art world in general. So this sort of mixing up different styles, different artists from different genres, but also blockchain art and physical art. I think that could be interesting. Definitely. Now that's one of the things that I'm really passionate about is in-person events. And that's how I really wanted Kadaf to be the in-person place to view digital art because you don't want to look at it only on your phone or on your computer. You want to see it at scale. I'm mm-hmm. still very passionate about this event. I'm actually organizing a cool event tomorrow in Dubai. <laughs> so oh. if anybody from our audience uh, is in Dubai tomorrow, it's going to be beautiful with a beautiful immersive room. We'll have a talk there as well. So You will travel to Dubai tomorrow? I can't go, but my team is going to be there. So I'll have to do it remotely this time. Although, of course... I love participating yeah. in those and events. What's the name of the event? It's called Web3 Beyond Hype. Okay. Nice. And I'll like share that. the <laughs> link <laughs> with you. Yeah. Sounds great. All right, Elena. So we have talked about many things, but I always like to ask the guests a question for some is kind of a hard question to answer. For others actually enjoy and really like it. So what are Three artists, Elena, if you had to name three that you are inspired by or you would like to share their work with other enthusiasts, three artists <laughs> that Elena is a fan of. I'm a fan of very diverse uh, art groups and artists. I don't know. I think it's hard for me to pick three and to name them right now. I can think about it a little bit and post it later in our <laughs> chat. I love anything from German expressionism to very new digital art today. But I think the key is not to name the names, but to make sure that the art really touches 
your heart and your mm -hmm. brain. And when it does, it's very rewarding. And there are a lot of artists like that. I just, I like the idea. It's not about the names. It's yeah, about the art and what it means to you. Yeah, it's a good concept, a good way to define it. All right, Elena. So, well, uh, one last thing. You mentioned early on through our chat that uh, you had an announcement about Kadaf that it was acquired. Can you yes, tell us a bit about that? It's very, very exciting. So Kadaf has been acquired by Live Art and now is a part of Live Art. So I'm very pleased about it on many different levels. I really want to continue with what we've been doing with Kadaf at a different scale and to host more wonderful events and educational mm -hmm. initiatives. It's also great because the founder of Live Art, I used to work together with at Christie's when he sold <laughs> the startup that he has founded to them called Collectrium. And I joined back then. So it's a good moment. And I felt like Live Art is doing great things and they're very passionate about great art. So I felt like Kadab would find a really good home with them. And that's how. Yeah, congratulations. Congratulations. Thank I you think so that's, much. Uh, it's a, a great story because you started Kadaf, as we know, very early on when there wasn't many people in paying attention to blockchain art and, and you created amazing events around the world, different cities, New York, Miami, and uh, I think Paris. Is Paris, it, it, we did a lot of events, yeah. Yeah, so congratulations and yeah, I'm looking forward to see uh, what's next with Kadaf? Will it be operating as Kadaf as well, or will it be live art? It's a part of live art, but it will operate with its own events as well. So I do hope we can host another film in the near future. Maybe not this year, but sometime mm -hmm. next year would be really great. Awesome. All right, Elena, thanks. Thanks so much. I think we are almost in the hour. And yeah, this was exciting to learn from you and learn about all the things you have done and the education work you have been doing. I think it's very important to educate people in general, how everything works. It's very complicated, the technology, and we need more education materials, courses in different levels. So I think that's a great job you're doing there. And thanks for sharing the, the live art tool to track uh, yeah, traditional art, art sales. <laughs> yeah, hope we can chat again in the future and see what's coming from live art and Kadaf. Same. Thank you so much, Carl, for having me. It's been great. Bye-bye. Have a great bye -bye. day. Bye.